Hello, everybody, and welcome to Surviving the Pride. I am your host, Tim. And I'm Jordan. And you might be asking, what is Surviving the Pride? Well, Jordan and I will tell you. Surviving the Pride is all about marketing, explaining all aspects of marketing to help a business grow, importance of having a website, SEO, social media, and it's also going to be, we're also going to be talking about starting a business as well. Yeah. So in addition to that, we're also going to give you guys some helpful hints, tips, and tricks about current and upcoming trends within whatever industry our guest business is from, and give you guys a bit of general information in regards to that. I'm here with the Polymer Center, here to just um, talk with these lovely people about their roles, some industry realities, and their senior design projects. So if you guys could just introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Veronica, and I am the accountant, and I also do the ISO internal audits and some marketing for the Polymer Center. My name is Matthew. Uh, my title is project engineer, but... I would say mostly I work with the extrusion and compounding uh, lab at the Palmer Center. And my name is Andrew, and I am the injection molding and a lab technician here at the Polymer Center. All right. So now that we know who everybody is, um, let's discuss how your roles contribute to the overall mission of the Polymer Center. So anybody want to start? <laughs> so... Um, I would say when a customer has like an initial idea and they're coming to us um, as far as like testing their product or whatever it is, I would say my job is kind of the start. So a lot of times people will come to us and they'll have uh, like an idea about something they like a project or a certain type of plastic that they want to test and they'll bring it to me and I'll either do like a compounding trial with them where you know i'm mixing together several different types of plastic or i'll do some sort of like sheet or blown film or kind of whatever the scenario is and then from there i either send it to injection molding which is andrew or i'll send it to the lab just more yira and when he sends that down to me i will make whatever parts they would like to have made in order for testing or just for visual preference and either send it back to them or send it over to the lab to test for mechanical properties. Okay. Um, let's talk about some projects you guys are working on. I remember that the last group that we had was touching on some of um, their projects, but I know you guys can't get too far into details because of NDAs and everything, but what are some initiatives that you're working on or some things that you're excited to start talking about? Now, one of the things I've been working a lot with lately is a biopolymer that doesn't actually have any plastic in it, so I guess it wouldn't really be considered a polymer, but uh, they're making food utensils such as forks, spoons, and knives that would dissolve in water over time and create less pollution in the ocean like there is now with standard plastic. They're trying to eliminate that type of waste. Which is cool, honestly. I do remember um, the last group talk, touched on, what was it the thing I was talking about? This robotic dog. I, I don't know if you guys can talk, touch on that at all. I won't ask you to, but I saw a video about this robotic dog that um, they kind of like made. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we can talk about it. I don't know if we can't talk about it, but I thought that was cool. 
as well. So it sounds awesome. It does sound awesome. <laughs> I looked at the video and I literally sat there and I was a big Jerry Neutron fan in my way little, like little kid age. I know I look young now, but like we'll take it back way further. And I was obsessed with Goddard. So like seeing the little robot dog, I lost my mind. I had like a full blown like nerd moment. Yeah. Here. It was uh, so cool. It's yeah, it sounds really cool. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what project that I is. actually saw that. I think it was there was one that they did that with up in um I think it was Boston, right? Oh, really? Boston Electronics or whatever. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they came out with that. It was like the robot dog that like. Yeah. Uh, the, and I don't know. It's like a open source like software and all that. So you can mm-hmm. like program it to do whatever you want to do. And, or I, I don't know I saw a video what it, but... exactly it was. But <laughs> it was the fullest thing I ever saw in my entire life. And my mind went pew. Right. So. You guys are making cool stuff. Makes me want to be a scientist, even though I don't like science. <laughs> Makes me want to do that. Okay, let's get into segment two, which is um, your industry realities in the plastics industry. So I know that there is a statistic that a plastic energy consumption only makes up 3% of the world's energy consumption compared to that 60% um, that comes from fossil fuels. If you guys want to touch on that stat a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. So one of the things that... Um, kind of i was researching kind of ahead of this actually um was it was something that was kind of interesting to me it was i didn't realize this but um there's a lot of plastics that are made solely out of fossil fuels so um basically as far as like energy consumption from plastics um and creating turning it into you know what we see today as far as like um, you know, water bottles or, you know, technology, whatever it is. Um, first step is like extracting the raw materials, um, pulling it out of the earth. So that's going to, you know, consume energy. And then the actual production, um, you know, catalyzing, like the, the pressurized, you know, heating, you know, whatever you're, whatever it is you're doing that, you know, that's going to consume energy. Um, the manufacturing process, um, like transportation, that's going to consume energy. Um, a lot of people, I think, kind of skip that phase or they mm-hmm. don't really even think about it. But, yeah, I mean, transportation is, you know, fuel and getting things from A to B. Um, the use phase and then end of life management as far as like uh, burning it, whether you're recycling it, whether you're... Um, you know, how that kind of comes about. But I would say as far as like the polymer center is concerned is we come into place once the plastic has, you know, after the plastic production phase, basically. Right. So we, you know, take the plastic and then, for instance, like I do compounding, refinement, you know, whether they want to add like a color in or whether they want to add like a impact modifier, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, I would say that's kind of where the polymer center comes into play kind of after all of that. After everything. So you're like the grand finale. Right. Kind of. <laughs> the grand finale. That actually like leads me to ask this another question, which is I know that plastics aren't really a big um, recyclable tool. Does the polymer center tend to reuse any like polymers that haven't been I don't know how that process works so forgive me if I'm not verbalizing it correctly but do you guys get the chance of like 
reusing any unused polymers into newer products, if that makes sense. As far as like recycled polymers? Yes. So I would say yes. We, I personally have done quite a few trials that deal with like purely recycled material. Um, and depending on the polymer, you'll have different properties. Mm-hmm. So for instance, like I think PT tends to keep its properties pretty decently. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a really big push to like for like recycled PT and kind of how that comes into play. Right. Um, a lot of times I feel like when people are trying to like reuse uh, materials, mm-hmm. oftentimes it won't be like 100% recycled. And instead, what happens is you'll see, like, a certain percentage. And it was funny. I think I saw, like, a water bottle or something like that. And it said, like, up to, like, 0.001% recycled. Up to. So it was, like, a very, very it's small. It's a very small percentage. Yeah, it's a very small. <laughs> right. So it, it was a very, like, small percentage. But, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, clothing and that sort of thing, like, mm. it will – it could say like it's being made out of recycled material, but like the question is like what percent of recycled material? Right, and what percentage would be I guess considered marketable for some for at least for clothing? Because that actually leads into my next question, where, which is some examples of plastic in our daily lives. So you touched on clothing, but that makes me wonder like for brands that are taking a more um, not holistic. I can't think of the word I'm trying to use. Just recycle. Yeah, resourceful. Thank you. That helped a lot. Resourceful, um, (laughs) like, take on clothing industry. Because I know during COVID, that was, like, one of the bigger things that they kind of, like, touched upon. Um, How does – what makes that marketable? Like, in the plastics industry, if you guys know. If you don't, that's okay. That's something we can touch on on another episode. Well, one one thing I would say with that is, like, I know for I have a hat at home that if you look at the tag, it says mm-hmm. it's made of recycled plastic. It doesn't tell you how much is right. in the material, but it's one of those things like you just look at it and it's, oh, that's cool. Like right. this is actually somewhat. I guess uh, I wouldn't say necessarily that hat that hat line is going to save the planet, but it's like oh, <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm doing a part of something, right? And I think that's where it's very marketable. It makes people feel like they're taking an initiative in order to be in a better space with the green space we're trying to go towards now. And I think with marketing, too, it's like it's one thing to like market something as a product. But Mm -hmm. then also it's like if your product doesn't have the end material properties, it's like would a consumer actually buy it? Right. So it's like if. For instance, you're trying to sell people. I have a water bottle here, so I'm just going to keep using the water bottle example. (laughs) Um, But like if you're trying to like sell somebody, you know, X number of water bottles Mm -hmm. and you're saying that, um, oh, yeah, it's like recycled and all of this, but then it doesn't hold any water, you know, like what's the use? What's the point? (laughs) Right. So I think it all comes down to like material properties and then how – um, how they actually line up with if you were to not use any recycled material, right? So if you didn't use any recycled material and something would last like five to 10 years mm. and then you use recycled material and only last three years, it's like, would the consumer still buy it if they knew that it was only going to last less, um, you know, two to 
seven less years. Right, the lifespan. With That's the, a good point. With the water bottles as well, I've actually done for a company a uh, regrind study on PET, which it was just a visual study. Mm-hmm. And you make so many parts and you grind the uh, so-called uh, pure parts down. And then once you grind down the pure parts, you shoot them back through again, shoot so many of those parts, keep so many, and then grind them down again, and then shoot them through again mm-hmm. in the injection molding process. And the whole study is that that company makes bottles, and they want to see how many times they'd be able to reuse the bottles, and it would still look clear like this. Okay. Taking recycling to a whole new level, huh? Yeah, trying to. <laughs> whole new level. Okay, well, that's... That's still cool. So how many times can you reuse a water bottle to make a water bottle a water bottle? Make it look. Or make it look something like one. This stuff, this stuff turns yellow whenever it is degraded. Things I learned from polymers, part eight. So, yeah, it's also with the, the colorants, but then also especially with, like, compounding. Mm-hmm. Um, I've run certain trials where we'll take the same material – and run it through the extruder three or four times. And basically the test is, um, how does the material properties change every single pass through the extruder? Um, and with every pass, generally what you see is you'll have like degraded properties, mm-hmm. obviously depending on the material. Um, but then they're trying to measure like the extent of the that pass, right? Trying to see if they still match the spec of the original, or at least they're within allowable range of failure right within your tolerance yes wow i just did not okay forgive me i'm speechless no (laughs) i don't don't, that's just it's really cool to just see how you guys deal with and interact or just personally not just as a job but just even to see like the application of your work in real time it's, it's really cool. Okay, let's get to segment three, which is interacting with customers. So um, can anyone kind of explain the process for setting up trials with Matt's line and then like how customers proceed step by step with how that works? So I think initially what happens is customer will come up with some sort of idea, mm-hmm. something that they want to create, something that they want to test. And they'll go, they'll talk to Tom about it. And with Tom, they normally set up a trial plan and my machine or like my lab is generally rented out day by day. So um, whether it's a one day trial or like a multiple day trial, he'll kind of set up and go through exactly what he wants to see happen kind of through the trial. And then from there, he'll come to me and tell me, um, exactly what needs to be set up, exactly what needs to happen, um, because it will change every single trial depending on exactly what the customer wants. Um, so there's a lot of communication that needs to happen going in between each trial. So, and as far as my line is concerned, like I would say just about every day, you know, we have a new customer coming in, wanting to try something completely different. Um, yesterday we had a trial, today we have a trial, and, you know, we're going to be booked out trials for the rest of the week too. (laughs) So um, one of the interesting things, just as an example, is like for the compounding line, Mm -hmm. um, there's two screws because it's a twin screw extruder. 
And the interesting thing with screws is with the twin screw, uh, it's like stackable. So there's like, um, when I took a class, they pretty much said that there was like an infinite number of possible screw designs that you can use for the twin screw. Okay. And with any given product, um, from what I was told, there's probably 18 possible screw designs that will work optimally with that product. So one of the things that we try to do is work with the customer and try to figure out what screw design will actually work for their product or with their compounding. So I guess you would say that be like a challenge. One of the challenges you might have to face with the trial runs. Exactly. Is trying to come up with a certain, uh, certain screw. Um, and then we have to look at exactly what they're trying to do. If they're trying to like side feed the material, if they're trying to do like a liquid injection, if mm -hmm. they're trying to run powders through there, like, how is that going to change the screw design and how do we need to adjust to actually optimally run their products? So run, I did not know that there was that many different screw designs that could. I, I think that's more of like a, like statistic. Mm -hmm. I would say there's infinite number, but the reality is there's a certain science that goes behind a screw design. Right. So um basically what will happen is um you catch on to like patterns mm -hmm. uh so it doesn't make it like impossible to you know come up with like a screw design so you kind of approach it as what exactly are we doing what have we done in the past that's worked so like Can trial we... and error kind of to some extent yes that's cool um but yeah, and then after everything comes through my department and I do all the compounding, that's when I send it over to Andrew in injection molding. And pretty much from there, I will take <clears throat> I will take the compound that he made and I will injection mold it to pretty much whatever the customer needs. Uh, most of the time it's test bars, but I've also done things for visual representation with like plaques or discs or anything like that. But when it comes to the test bars, I'll make however many test bars of however many samples he sent down, and um, I will take that over to the lab and we'll test it for mechanical properties because most of the stuff we're dealing with are brand new compounds that that engineer wanted to just test and see if they would work. Right. So you're testing them to see if they're within the range to be within the range of failure to match whatever the, you know, standard is for what they're looking for. Right. And that could be anything from tensile flex or impact testing. There's a wide range of other tests you could do to test those bars as well. But at that point in time, uh, I pass it on to the lab. And once the bars are done and over there and tested, we send the results to the customer and, that's pretty much when Euro would come in and he was here last time and discuss the results with the customer if needed, or right. they can interpret them however they uh, that, see fit. That was, that was actually leads it to my next question of like, do you, is it, has there been any like rewarding interactions that you've had with any customers or like, um, how has the customer feedback played a role in the product development? Since I know you have to go through so many test runs with certain products. Well, there's been plenty of things we made that didn't work, but there's also been a ton of things that we've made that they got the exact results they were looking for. 
But most of the stuff when we're doing this, it's a trial starting from the ground up. So it's all about improvement. So say they make this first batch of samples and they don't see any of the results they want, but the company still thinks it's worth time to invest in that. They'll come back to Mac most of the time and they'll do another round of samples and hope for improvement. If they get improvement and get closer to what they want, they'll just keep going. Right. And eventually if they get to the standard that they're trying to reach or within the allowable tolerance of whatever they're looking for, you've pretty much set them up. We had a customer we've been working with uh, not too long ago actually send me uh, samples from their first compounding trial on a big machine mm -hmm. rather than just our lab line. And we're going to test those whenever I make the parts and see if they match up with the results they were getting before because they got the results that they wanted. So there's a lot of interconnectedness with each of the departments, whether it's from getting customer feedback from injection molding or from the lab or from extrusions and all that different things like that. So obviously it plays a really big part, make sure that you guys are all communicating with each other for the success of the center. Yeah, we spend a lot of time interacting with our customers. I would say, yeah, communication is big, but then also like, good note taking and that sort of thing too because like especially when i'm trying to send things down to injection molding mm -hmm. sending him good notes of you know temperatures or torque and that sort of thing that i'm seeing like when i'm making the initial product and then sending it to him then he can also take that and use that to his advantage right. than injection mold that's one thing that's good about having the compounds made here i mm -hmm. actually know what's in it because sometimes i'll be sent things from outside that i have no actual idea what's actually in it and right. i'm just trying to figure it out and make sure i don't mess anything up but he always sends me down exactly what's in it and i can make sure with we're within a allowable temperature tolerance for whatever's in there that we're not going to burn anything off and ruin anything that they work for right so is there um more dependency between both of your um departments as far as like a chain of I won't say a chain of command, but like a flow of how products are made? Uh, for me and him, I mean, we work together a lot just for the, like, not like actually in the same room or anything, mm -hmm. but he'll make something, bring it down to me, and give me whatever I need to be successful. It all pretty much starts with him at that point. Yeah, and I mean, we have like a system of how like we operate and make sure that, you know, I'm communicating with him and we're talking back and forth about, you know, trials and what like dates, when things need to happen and what we should expect and see. So I would say, yeah, just trial operation is mostly what I'm concerned with. Well, nonetheless, like you can, you can obviously see just based on how you guys kind of bounce back and forth off of each other. Like it's obviously a team collaboration with all of this. Um, I do want to touch on schooling versus your real life careers. So Basically, like, how are the things that you've learned? Like, I don't know if you guys have done any in-house training with the Polymer Center, um, but how have the things that you've learned in school differed from, like, your actual careers in the Polymer Center? And I know we haven't really had a chance to talk to Ms. Veronica that much, so I want to get her on this question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing when I was in school that they touched on a lot throughout our accounting classes is, like, inventory, mm -hmm. how to account for it. And coming in here, it was such a change because we technically don't have any inventory. And I think that shocks 
a lot of people because they assume like, oh, you make something, so you have to have inventory. Mm -hmm. But we have our customers send in the raw material, so it's technically not ours. Right. It's theirs. They own it all. And um, then throughout the inventory process, you usually have like work in progress and then finished goods. But we're kind of that middle person because we kind of make the pellets or the molds and stuff like that, but we don't create a finished product. We're not going to be making a water bottle. We'll create the plastic to go somewhere that will then make the water bottle. Right. So, so it's definitely like the middleman, basically. Yeah. Okay. In the production process. Well, what about you guys? How's school different from what you're actually doing now? I don't know. You know, I I haven't met any kids that go, yeah, I want to be a scientist that works on plastic. Well, actually, it was kind of funny because I would say my degree is in mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that I see in the plastic industry came from more of like a chemistry background or like a material science background. Mm -hmm. So I would say my schooling, as far as what I actually learned, was I learned a little bit about plastics in a couple of different classes, but it wasn't, you know, like plastic focused if that makes sense that makes sense um but as far as like i feel like all of the concepts that i learned in school transfers over into plastics so as like an example um as far as like real life versus like theoretical anything that like you can sit there and calculate in like a theoretical sense is always simplified or you have to simplify it because there's no way of like calculating in like certain factors. Right. There's a way of, I mean, you can sit there and work with like safety factors or um, like tolerances and that sort of thing and just try to assume certain things. But in order, that's kind of where I would say the polymer center comes in is people want to see that actual test result. If they don't want, they can sit there and calculate the theoretical all day long. But it, they actually want to come in, make something, and then test the actual result. Where are the actual numbers that we're seeing? What sort of tolerances are we seeing on our parts? What type, you know, what is the actual um, product going to be like? Right. So <clears throat> I would say that's kind of more or less where, like, the Polymer Center comes in. And what people enjoy seeing is, like, the actual result versus, like, more the theoretical. Right. Not the what if, but more of like, oh, wow, this is what it is. Right. Physically. Okay. And also it's like, how accurate is their theoretical approach? Right. Because they can say like, oh yeah, we think it's going to be this, but then they can go and test it and say, okay, that's what it actually was. Or if it was off, it's like, okay, why was it off? Right. Their, their hypothesis. I said hypotenuse. That was way <laughs> off. Oh my God. Your hypothesis your actual experiment, and then you, wow, science. Science is so great, guys. I'm learning so many things. Like, this is actually like, I feel like school gives you a good foundation, too. Like he was saying, you can always fall back on some of the things that you learned in school because the whole process of going through college is essentially to learn how to do problem solving. Right. And you learn about the career you think that you want and they give you the bare minimum basics for what you'll need to get there. But, uh, with our industry, I always felt like you never really learn anything with it until everything's going wrong. That leads me into asking about if you guys had did any additional training at the center for anything that you hadn't really encountered prior to 
you know, working that position. We got the training from the people that were there before us, but a lot of my training came from outside resources, just as far as injection molding goes, because mm. I'm the only injection molding person there. Now I have a lot. I have plenty of resources from the people that had the jobs prior to me. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, reach out to them and talk to them anytime I want. And Hero is also a great resource, but just uh where I start I started an extrusion, I'm now in injection molding and working in the lab. I just kinda got to learn everything from the people there and just learn on the machine as I went is pretty much where I came from in that aspect. And as far as me, like coming in, I worked like extrusion and compounding. And one of the things that the polymer center actually holds um, every couple of months is just like a extrusion and compounding class, just mm-hmm. like a basic one-on-one of like, this is what you're going to be doing. This is kind of the science and theory behind it. And I was probably working at the polymer center for, I don't know, like a month or two. So I got a good kind of background on like how to actually run like a compounding machine, but it was also really nice to be able to see kind of the theory behind how the machine works, right? why certain things operate the way they do. Because I'll say with the machine itself, like sometimes not everything is like cut and dry of like, um, it kind of operates in a way that is different from how you would naturally perceive things. We do offer, uh, we do have a bunch of companies that come in as well and do training at the polymer center for things like injection molding, extrusion, pretty much anything that you can think of. And I know in the future, our plan is to get our molding training program back up and going. We just, since COVID, have not had the resources available to make that happen. That was actually something that the last group was touching on as well, how you guys were supposed to be in the process of expanding your um, training programs and how you want to bring in some more people, which actually leads into my next segment. I love how everything's just flowing so nicely. (laughs) So let's talk about your UNCCC, your design project. So what exactly is it? So this is actually something that was kind of interesting to me. Um, so I went to UNC Charlotte and I graduated 2021 uh, with a degree in mechanical engineering. So my senior year comes around and everybody takes like a end of, you know, a senior year, like design project or mm-hmm. it's like kind of your big like capstone project. Right. And uh, for Charlotte students, they have really, really cool um, project setup where you work with other people from different disciplines. So there's some colleges that, you know, you'll have a capstone project with like just mechanicals or just electricals. Mm -hmm. But within UNC Charlotte, they have like mechanicals, they have electricals, they have like, um, they'll add like computer. If you need like a computer science major, like computer engineering major, um, or like mechanical techs, electrical techs. So kind of, like a wide wide variety of people and basically what happens is a customer whether it's not just the polymer center but a lot of different companies will send projects that they want uncc to work on right and then kind of your team's project is to actually create something for that company um there's a lot of capstone projects where you're not working with you know outside 
with any companies like outside the university. So mm -hmm. like your senior design project will actually be something like for the university, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I go to USC currently yeah. online. So I'm master student, so it's a whole different ballgame than hopefully the different. <laughs> right, ballgame. right. But um essentially the same exact thing where you kind of get an outside sourced or even sometimes an inside sourced company or like um conglomerate of the university to work with on a project so that you can learn the skills that you need to learn. But I wonder, like, what's the re relevance with the senior design project to Polymer Center? Do you guys like assist with assigning those projects, just those groups? Like, how does how does it how does that work? Yeah. So the Polymer Center every year we um like create a new project for the senior design teams at UNC Charlotte. So every year we're kind of like the mentors, if that makes sense, of like a senior design team. Mm -hmm. And they will like, we'll have some sort of project that we want them to work on. And actually, so my senior design project uh, while I was going through school was to create a conveying system. So for instance, if we're making like a biodegradable material that can't pass through water, so we can't use our typical water bath that we use for, I would say, 90, 95% of trials. Right. Um, then at that point, we set up a conveyor at the end of the extruder and then just run the plastic onto the conveyor so that it doesn't touch water. And then by the time it gets to the end of the conveyor, the idea was to have the plastic cooled to a certain temperature to where it could then be cut. Right. So that was kind of my team's uh, project for senior design. So, like, what would be some of the key findings? I don't know how... Wait, my first question, let me ask this first before I jump into this next question. My yeah. brain is jumping around. When did this program first start with Polymers? And as far as, like, when did, like, we start working with UNC Charlotte? Yes, when did you guys start working with UNC Charlotte? Um, I, I came in, like I said, my project was about midway through. Mm -hmm. And I know that we've had at least i think three other projects with unc charlotte so i'm gonna assume probably you know, like 2013 2014 is when like probably the first one was done maybe, okay maybe earlier yeah i'm not sure when the senior design project started with us with the polymer center but i know we've been partners with unc charlotte since oh. basically the beginning because we used to that's where we were located our offices the, till, with your history i remember yeah i think that's still touched on that last episode yeah but the reason why i wanted to ask was what were like over the course of this whole entire program and like working with these students what are some of the findings that you guys are finding like and some of the takeaways like i know every group is different especially in college like you get the group of knuckleheads and then you get the group of people that are like type a and are on it so what have been some like trial and error things that you've seen that you've like tweaked to the program or things that you've taken away from the program if any at all i think the biggest thing as far as working with the like the college students is like just communicating exactly what you want and just being like just having like a standard of what you kind of expect from the students um and like within their like projects like they have a lot of like responsibilities because they have to be communicating with like a professor. Right. Um, I've definitely seen that kind of from both sides where I was both a student and as like a mentor. So it's been kind of interesting going back and forth between the two and seeing exactly like how one works and the other one operates. Right. 
I mean, that's good that you have like both perspectives on it. And my next question based off of that would be how or have you hired any students from that program? I mean, obviously you're a shining <laughs> yeah, example. I was, was going to say, yeah, I think it's just me. Um, I know we've had a lot of students that have like come through, but mm-hmm. I believe I'm the only one that like has been hired like from the university. You're the only one that I know of. <laughs> wow. I, now, I will say that, <clears throat> like I said, my degree was in mechanical engineering, so plastics was a little bit interesting. And I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of the UNCC, like, senior design projects, a lot of them are, like, mechanical or electrical. And, you know, a lot of times people are coming through those fields with expectations of where they want to be. Right. So, obviously, plastics is a little bit niche, like, from those like degrees right so that also might play a little more into a factor than like as far as like people being hired okay well yeah i feel like this kind of um industry that's the word i want to use this industry is very like you said it's very niche so i i kind of wonder if any uncc students are listening you know just (laughs) tap in but um if you've seen any students that like have had like peak interest in it at all, like I know that at least for me, when I, my major is completely different from science, but um, when I see certain industries or certain clients that I work with that are extremely interesting to me, I'm the first person to like reach out. So I don't know if you, Veronica, have even gotten any emails with any students asking any extra questions or if you even get in contact with some of these students or don't know how that works. No, I don't really contact the students, but I feel like, like Matt was saying, like plastics and polymers is such a niche, mm-hmm. like group. It's I feel like people, unless they really hear about it, they might not get their interest sparked. Right. Um, I remember in high school we actually had a professor from NC State come out and talk to us about polymers, and I'm in high school, so we definitely had we we're like, what is he talking about? Right. But I was like, that's actually really interesting, mm-hmm. and I knew I wanted to do something in science originally. I was going for pharmacy, so I was like, maybe I should look into polymers a little bit more, but if you never heard of it, I don't think you would ever kind of think about that until right. it's brought up. Well, that's the whole premise of this podcast. Yeah. Get some people thinking about polymers and hopefully reaching out to some clients and even some students that will want to learn more about it. But is there any few other future collaborations that you guys are going to have with UNCC that are coming up? So we just finished a collaboration with UNCC and it was like a small scale crystallizer. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically you put morphous PET into the crystallizer and it heats it up into um, the crystallized state. And then basically I feel like for future projects, I know we have a couple in the works of some ideas that we have, right? but I don't think anything's set in stone at this point. Uh, That's good to get the ball rolling. I do know the plan is to work with them more in the future, even with the molding side, because uh, we had one of their professors come over and visit us and, have a tour and um, I spoke to one of his manufacturing classes and uh, we talked to him about uh, over the summer he wants to come over and he wants to see the machines working and learn how to use the machines and also was interested in bringing students by just so they could see the style of injection molding lab that we have because our lab is so vastly different than any process or any production site you're going to see because we have three injection molding machines that are in a nice lab on carpet and it's just uh it's a lot different than what you would see in the industry and he would like to get students to see the facility get them 
around um, the machines, get them working the machines, and more hands-on yeah, activities. I just getting to see that. Guys, um. Well, that's actually really cool because I know um, when I think of like manufacturing facilities for plastic, I don't think of nice carpet floors. I think of <laughs> everybody has the little goggles on and they're like, "All right, let's do this." Very <laughs> sciency. But um, I want to thank you guys so much for just giving me some of your insights on your experiences at the Polymer Center. Um, guys, please stay tuned to listen to any future episodes that we have. Um, and we will keep you guys updated on any upcoming events or initiatives that are happening at the Polymer Center. So thank you guys so, so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Thank mm-hmm. you.